Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody. It's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. This week's episode features my friend, Allison slater Ray. At the time of our recording, she was the SVP of Global Marketing and Communications at It Cosmetics. Now she has a super exciting role at Mimi Box. And a um, little fun fact, when I conceived of this podcast about three years ago, um, the first person who came to mind for the show was Allison. So it only took her three years to make the time to do this with us, but I'm super glad that she did. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Heather Ryer. She's the founder and CEO of Cake Beauty. Happy listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am very, 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 very excited to be sitting across from Allison slater Ray. Her title is SVP Marketing at It Cosmetics. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you for having me. How many varies was that? Well, this has been very long in the making, so I want to give our listeners some backstory. When I first had this idea by my coach to start a podcast, I thought, like, who would I want to talk to first? And I wanted to talk to you first. So flattering. You've told me that, and I find that fascinating. Because I don't totally think I'm that true. interesting. <laughs> you are very interesting. And that was almost three years ago. So finally, we are together. The universe made it happen when it needed to happen. And I'm delighted to see you. And I'm very happy to be here. And Congrats I think I, to you on thank all this you. success. I wrote these questions out, I don't know, two years ago. I haven't even revisited them. Oh, so really? I, w- <laughs> I wonder what they say. I think I may have canceled once or twice. It, you know, you've been very busy. So, um, but you I feel walk, awful. You walked into the door and you said that you have news for me. What's the news? I do have news. Well, let's hope this airs at the appropriate time. But I think it's out, so it's fine. Um, After four and a half years at Cosmetics, I'm moving on. I'm going back to my roots to work at a more of an independent startup type type of company. And I'm going to be the president of Mimi Box. Do you know Mimi Box? Wow, yeah, that's amazing. So I won't be able to do the true marketing pitch that I would for Mimi Box when I'm actually working there. But as I describe it, it's a collection of Korean makeup and skincare brands. One of them is Kaja, which is exclusive to Sephora. And one of them is I Do Care, which is exclusive to Ulta. And I just think they're a really interesting company. They have a great team and lots of potential. And I've met so, with them. Are you moving to San Francisco? I am not moving to San Francisco. I am currently the only New York employee, which will definitely be a challenge. And I appreciate, you know, the founder being open to that and the team. I, When I worked for Sephora, I would travel a week out of the month every month. So my family is used to it. I'm used to it. Uh, it might need to be more. We shall see. If my husband's listening, he'll kill me. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. That's very exciting. I am really excited. I'm excited because I think that there's so many brands out there with such potential. And I see a lot of potential in the current brands that are in the assortment and what the future could be. So I'm looking forward to starting. I'm starting at the end of November. And will you take any time off before you start? I will be taking a few weeks off, yes. Oh, that's good. Very happy about that. How old are your kids now? 13 and 10. Teen and is a 10-year-old a tween or not really? No. No, I would say no. Mm-hmm. And yours are? 12 and almost 9. So they're probably the same personalities, I would say. Well, my son's older. Oh, yeah, different personalities. So I a forgot. Different. Yeah. But um, from your Instagram, I learned, um, this is many years ago, 
um, you did like a food challenge, like a YouTube style food challenge with the kids <laughs> with like the gummy pizza and a real pizza, you know, uncovering it. Like yes, what did you I get? Did. And I was so inspired. I did it with my kids and they loved oh, it. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. That was really one of my more creative moments. <laughs> Do your kids watch a lot of YouTube? Unfortunately, yes. Do yours? Yeah. Do you know who they watch? I don't know who they watch. I know who Sammy watches and she definitely watched, she watched, she was into beauty for a while. And then I think she kind of grew less interested in it. Even the way her beauty flow happened, she wanted a lot of products. She came home one day and said, mommy, so-and-so has better makeup than I do. And you're in the beauty industry. And I said, well, I've been trying to give you makeup, but you're never really interested. And so I, I was waiting for the right time. And so I gave her a whole bunch of product, but really she just wants an eyelash curler and mascara. And I've never used an eyelash curler in my life. I'm afraid of them. Oh, I think that's the best thing in my arsenal is an eyelash curler. And did you use it today? Yeah, but I might have not. No, no, I forgot to do it today. <laughs> but I think it makes the most difference. I, apparently she feels the same way. So my daughter watches, um, she'll watch a few beauty, beauty people, but she's not so into it. Um, Miranda, who takes um, squishies and cuts them up and turns them into new squishies. Oh, interesting. It's I'll very impressive. And this guy, Colin Key, who does a lot of these like food um, gag things, mm. like, you know, who's going to get the real food? Who's going to get the sponge food or whatever? Um, and my son watches, I think, a lot of like movie conspiracy things. Like this character from this movie is really this character from that movie. Oh, I like that. And probably a lot of gaming that I don't pay attention yes, to. Yes, so a much. lot of gaming. But fortunately, they're over Fortnite. So relieved. You know, my son's over Fortnite too. What happened? Okay, so I this is what I believe. Someone will have to correct us. But one of the YouTubers, well, something happened, something changed within the game. Mm -hmm. And then one of the YouTubers sort of decided he was going to be done with it and went back to um, Minecraft, I believe. And so as a result, all the kids stopped playing it. And he came home from camp and wasn't playing it anymore and was doing Minecraft. And I was so elated. I sent a text to all the my mom friends and said, I'm so excited he's not playing Minecraft. He's not playing Fortnite anymore. Um, but he still listens to all of the YouTube gamers videos. I don't know who they are. I just there it's like the sound of nails on a chalkboard listening to those YouTubers. I don't know why. Well, my daughter also watches, listens to this, watches this guy, Unspeakable Gaming. He he was a Minecrafter, and now he just does silly pranks at his house. And oh, I feel like my kids may watch that. Yeah, they like fill the um, swimming pool in the backyard I with like that one. rubber duckies, or they like make a whole pool out of gumballs. Like, did they do one where they took those uh, little squishy balls that blow up and fill the entire swimming pool with it? Because I watched that. Maybe I might not have seen that one. I was kind of intrigued, I have to say. So um, I think what's really interesting, and, you know, as a top marketer, we can talk about this, is um, watching my um, daughter's behaviors with YouTube. Like, she's really into something, really into it, and then it's gone, mm -hmm. right? That's and true. then really into something else, and then it's gone. And I think we need to think about these behaviors because I don't think women are really any different than my mm -hmm. my eight-year-old, almost nine-year-old, that she's really into it. She enjoys it for a while. She's seen the same baking cake thing, and she wants, she just moves on, right? And the YouTube algorithm helps her move on to something new. Mm -hmm. But that um, our passion for these content creators is, you know, it's not locked in. That is true. And I, well, I think that's sort of how, even if you think of traditional companies, if you go back in time, I sort of think that's what like Estee Lauder had in mind. You know, you started with Clinique and then you grew up and maybe you got into the Estee Lauder brand and you sort of grew within the different companies, right? So I think there's ways that we could build our beauty brands that way, but or think of it 
solely for this is targeting this life stage. You can't be all things to all people all the time. And I think there's a lot of brands that are flashes in the pan or they're of the moment, they're trends. Then there's the brands that are the loyalty brands. Uh, It Cosmetics. It Cosmetics is a brand that I think when you discover the product, especially CC cream, you never want to give it up. I can't imagine I'm leaving the company. I know I'll wear my CC cream every day. I love it. And it's just it just is different. It's not just the uh, it's not just the product. It is it's a big piece of it, but it's also the mission of the brand. It's something that resonates for all ages. But Kaja, for example, is not a brand that's necessarily targeted to me. I think of it more for my daughter, maybe a little bit older. I don't know yet exactly who the target is, but that to me is what it seems to be. And you can't pretend that you're going after a 45-year-old woman. So we sort of have to stay in our lanes and I think be prepared for things to shift. You know, you have to sort of expect everything. Things happen very, very quickly, much faster than we're used to. I notice people um, in our space, marketers, uncomfortable with the fact that most brands don't aim to be legacy brands. You know, like the it Cosmetics um, formula is really not typical anymore, mm-hmm. right? To be with her for all of her life cycles and life journeys and life special moments, you know, big and small. Most brands are really just looking very short term. I, I That's interesting. I don't know if I... Th- I do you tell, give me an example. I don't think that when um, I think there's a lot of people in this business now who are like ready to make a quick buck. They think they're going to make a quick buck. Uh, they want to make a brand, sell it, and move on. Is that yeah, what you mean? or just like maybe they don't even want to sell it. They just want the, you know the the fast few million, mm. um, ride the trend, ride the wave. We see that with different ingredient stories, Fair, certainly. Um, and there's not a passion for developing a real relationship over time. Their their business model is not set up to develop a relationship over time with a customer. It's to just be here for that moment. For the moment. Um, and then if luck happens that they're there longer, great. But um, I don't really get the sense that a lot of um, new brands are in it for the long haul. That's interesting. Um, I feel that that model has seemed to work for Sephora in some ways. If you think about the 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 place you would go to buy those more fast beauty type brands, but um, it works for them. But I don't know that it works for the brands because what's your what's your exit strategy? You know, you're left with a ton of inventory. You're left. You know, you never know when the moment's up. I don't know how that's really sustainable. But then again, it's really difficult to be a legacy brand. It's it is super challenging, and I don't. I, I would think that people would be starting their companies saying, like, I want to do X and I want to be here for this amount of time. It's so interesting to think I just want to ride the wave of this one trend. Yeah, I um, I guess people are just super honest with me as they talk <laughs> to me about it that they're, oh, I just want to try it. I just want to see. Right. Um, and um, they're expecting that because the margins are good that it's going to be easy and they just are in for a really rude awakening. What do you think of that? Um, part of me is a little uncomfortable, you know, that, um, I think I feel protective of our industry, right? That I'm uncomfortable and I'm protective of our customers. I'm a little uncomfortable with the fact that, um, someone doesn't seek to have a long-term relationship with me, right? Um, but I'm not that target, you know, I'm really not. Um, have you worked with any of these besides speaking to them on the podcast? Have you worked with any of them? No, because we have a tendency to work with people who are trying to create meaningful change, whether it's socially or, um, you know, within the industry. Um, so typically our clients are really 
either they already are, you know, a legacy mm-hmm. um, or they're trying to do something really big in the world. So yeah. we, you know, if, if you're not um, differentiated, we're not going to be able to work with you. And mm-hmm. we're very honest about that. Um, because there's just no, there's no room, right? Like it's so cluttered here. So you have to be super differentiated. Um, so, uh, you know, part of me is uncomfortable, but then I look at like the teens that I know and mm-hmm. the young adults that I know, and they're totally fine with it. So they don't know, you know, from legacy, um, the way that you and I grew up, right? Like uh, my, I think my parents bought Tide. So when I right. went to buy my first laundry detergent, I bought Tide, right? That's the way it worked. Uh-huh. I, I don't use Tide anymore. But it's um, funny, I just bought Tide this weekend and thought, why am I using this? It's got to be filled with chemicals. I think I need to change. Yeah. Literally the thought ran through my head. I use seventh generation. <laughs> That's what I was thinking made the most sense. Mm-hmm. But do you really know what's in it? Um, I think in the trust? beginning, yeah. You know, when the kids were like babies, I was like really into this, like mm. cleaning up the whole life around me. And I was kind of crazy about it. Um, it was only California baby for their like mm-hmm. bath and it was only X, Y, Z. Um, yes, I believe that seventh generation is working hard on ingredients. Yeah, much harder than Tide. Oh, well, for sure, much harder than Tide. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can only do our part, right? I'm, I'm not uh-huh. going to formulate laundry detergent at home. True. Um, have you given up plastic yet? I have not given up plastic, but we do um, use reusable straws. I don't, I like carry things out of stores. I don't need bags. Or I'll just take a bag from the car, you know, reusable mm-hmm. bag. So um, I... Definitely try to be mindful of this in a way that's reasonable for me. But a future passion of mine beyond beauty is actually to be in the recycling industry and Mm -hmm. find innovation wherever that may be. So that's maybe, you know, in 10 years I'll start that. That's great. Yeah. So this is kind of inside of me. I love it. Go for it. Okay. So So, we're going to talk about you, though. We're here to talk about Allison. It's fair. I always shift the conversation. So, um... There's a lot of reasons why when I thought, like, who's the first guest I wanted um, that you came to mind. One is because you're lovely. Two is because you've been in this industry in so many right places at so many right times that it's kind of makes me giggle. Um, so let's go back in time. Sure. Through your career, um, where did you, what was your first job? <laughs> My first job was... Very interesting. It's kind of funny. I actually worked for a startup internet company before there were startup internet companies. So I graduated college in 1996. And the summer before, I'd had an internship. Well, I could tell you that story. It's funny how I even got the internship. But that's maybe we'll see how much time we have. Um, But I wound up, it was this sponsorship company. They were doing uh, corporate um, sweepstakes for people. I remember we did one for PepsiCo. And I got bored with the company. And so I sort of wandered around the office, and there was this woman who was starting her own business. And I said, you know, can I help you with anything? I don't really have that much to do. And so I wound up becoming close to this woman, and she was starting her own business. And so when I graduated, she agreed to hire me. Um, I probably was a little bit lazy and didn't look that hard for a job. And she paid me $23,000 a year. And it was exactly that, a startup internet company. She had, she, this woman was actually brilliant in her concepts and probably didn't have the execution, 
but she basically went after businesses that she thought were going to be the future. So she sort of honed in on the idea of the celebrity chef. So this is in 1996, where I don't think there were that many celebrity chefs out there. Um, She bet on this guy. He's great, but not going to be the celebrity chef. And so we created a website for him. Then she went after um, NASCAR. Brilliant. NASCAR has, uh, at the time, I don't know the stats now, but it was the number one spectator sport. So if you can imagine all these people showing up, how much interest there was. And so she had uh, the gaming rights to all the NASCAR drivers. I don't know how she did not make millions just off of that, but that was one aspect. So she wanted to do websites for them. And there were other aspects, but basically I became... This, I was writing code. I learned how to actually build websites. I went to AOL's headquarters in Virginia and learned how to do Rainmaker. That was their, the language that they wrote for writing code. I remember doing uh, live chats before really anyone was and getting on with my friends and literally just be the three of us because <laughs> really we weren't doing any marketing nor did we have any followers and just doing live chats with my friends. That was fun. <laughs> and then in order to... Um, to get recognition, you go on Alta Vista. Do you remember Alta Vista? Mm-hmm. And you would just register your website and try to get traffic there and try to uh, grow awareness for the brands. And um, we did the, – the interesting thing we did is we created a video with um, this celebrity chef and all the wives of the NASCAR drivers. And they brought their favorite recipes and we cooked it and we went to – we actually filmed it on one of the racetracks. I should remember where. I feel like we were in North Carolina. And um, it was super interesting, but nothing ever took off. She ran out of money. I think there was a $5 million investment, and it wasn't a time that money was being thrown at everyone. And so I remember literally it was a point where I wasn't getting a paycheck anymore, and I thought, okay, I think it's time to move on. Probably still owed about two grand somewhere, but... So I went back and thought, okay, what did I want to do with my life? And I always wanted to be in advertising. I was a marketing major, coincidentally. And I um, applied for some jobs. I remember just learning how I knew nothing about advertising and going for my first interview and them saying, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to be an account person? Do you want to be media? And I didn't even know what that meant. And, And just goes to show you how naive I was and how naive I can be sometimes still. Um, I don't think anyone would ever do that today, not do their research. But I just was a dumb kid that just thought like, oh, I should be given an opportunity. And I was really lucky to know a woman, Alyssa Goodman. She happened to be working at Chanel. That was her first job. She was my age. And she said, I think the agency is looking for someone. So I went in and I met with Ellen Jacobs, who was my first boss, my first, second boss, I guess, my first boss in the industry. And she was working at DDB on the media account for Chanel. And um, I sort of consider that my first real job because the other job was kind of figure it out as you go. And Ellen was amazing. I absolutely loved her, still close with her today. And um, learned a lot. I was there for a year as a media planner. What was cool is that First of all, you walked into an agency, and I'm working on the Chanel account, and everyone around me is working on toilet paper and computers, <laughs> and they're like, really? Like, how does this girl just walk in and get this job? It's not fair. Of course, all the women there wanted the Chanel account, and they had no account team. They were just doing media, so you met directly with the client, which made it a lot closer connection because oftentimes the media team would be kept in the back. And granted, I mean, this is such a different time. You're not buying anything online. I was buying, doing television and radio and print. Um, and local print, I mean, everything, there was definitely big budgets. 
But I learned a lot about life, I would say. Um, I had two bosses. I had Kathy Arisman, and definitely people know her. She worked on the Chanel account, I believe, almost her entire career in different agencies. And Ellen. And Kathy was like the worker bee. She really taught me like how to do the job, the nuts and bolts. And today, I, it's rarely ever that I hire someone or that someone gets hired and I sit down or they get sit down and taught are taught the job. But she really taught me how to do everything instead of just saying, figure it out. And then Ellen was, she was the business mind. She was the fun person. She actually taught me how to behave socially and um, in in a in an environment with people. You know, we were now being taken out by all these media people. This, by far, I had the best life, I thought, of anyone because I was 22 years old. I made no money, but I didn't care because I went to every party there was. I went to every Broadway show, every sporting event, the best restaurants because I was on the Chanel account. And it was a time when media had a lot of money, the magazine industry, and they threw great parties. So I would say I went out five nights a week. And then when I actually, during the week, and when there wasn't a party to go to, I was home ordering in Chinese food. <laughs> and that's like all I could afford. <laughs> but um, Ellen taught me just um, how to really act in a professional way, how to be social. Oftentimes she'd come in and she'd say, we're working like the boys today. And that was a day that we were just like really, you know, head down, working hard. Of course, you'd never say that today. We're working like the boys, but it seemed right when you think of the agency days. And um, and other times we just had fun and she'd come in at four o'clock and she'd be like, okay, day's over. We're drinking now. And it just was a, such a nice balance and such a great way to be brought into the corporate world. Um, and I was fortunate enough to know people and I one of the media people recommended me for a job at Calvin Klein Cosmetics when it was owned by Unilever and there were actually no cosmetics. It was just the fragrances. And I was there for almost three years. And similarly, a media person recommended me for the job at Sephora. I remember they wanted someone who wasn't a diva. So I was happy that I fit that mold. That was really the only requirement that Betsy Olam had at the time. Um, and that was the sort of the, that was the start of my career. Very long-winded answer. So, what did you do at Sephora? That's when I met you. So, um, when I started at Sephora, I was hired to oversee the media agency, the PR agency, and uh, the creative agency. And that's really where I started. And truthfully, it was a time when we were just building up marketing at Sephora. Um, I remember the concept obviously was brought over from France when we launched in the U.S. You know, business was tough. I came on the same time as David Slotiano, not that he knew who I was when I was being hired, but uh, Betsy hired me in New York. They decided that, I believe Betsy was first hired to do some of the launch parties, and then they said, well, we need marketing. And the French team said, you don't need marketing. People will just discover Sephora. <laughs> you just walk in, it'll be a discovery. What year is and this? This is in 97, so not, let's say, 90. I have to, you know, I have to look at my LinkedIn profile to remember what year everything is. Is that really pathetic? But it's true. It probably was 98 because the it, Sephora launched in 96 and the website launched a year later, I believe in October 97. And so um, it was probably September 98. And we, it had to be later than that, 99. It was September 99. And um, that is definitely when it was. You can edit this, right? <laughs> You're going to keep all my rambling? Yeah. <laughs> so um, Sephora was, people thought that it was going to close, and people were saying, well, why, what are you, why are you working there? They're going to shut down the doors. It's not going to last. 
And David obviously turned it around. But it was exciting time to be there because I was doing marketing first plans for store closings. What We're closing Rockefeller Center. What oh are you going to do? How are we going to drive people to the other stores? Um, and that was obviously a small blip. But we just did everything. I mean, we, do, we were doing tons of events in store. We were, I mean, in the beginning, we were just trying things out, um, taking something that had done really well in Europe and trying to establish it in the U.S. And, you know, starting out with the black glove and and how does that translate? And obviously, everyone at Sephora at the time seemed very aloof and like they didn't care and how could they be knowledgeable? And that's when the big transition happened where education became super important. And really, um, uh, the biggest piece was operational that David really had an impact on, but also investing in marketing and telling not only the Sephora story, but also those individual brand stories. And so the Paracone and Steels of the world, who were tiny, tiny and only at Sephora, how do we create them into big brands? And so we sort of developed this uh, really reputation of being brand incubators and and growing brands and creating brands. And so a big piece of what I did years later, and some, I was at Sephora for 11 years, was um, bring on brand marketing and actually help grow certain brands. And some brands that had been around forever but needed a reboot or a shift or um, how do we tell this brand story in a different way. And so we had brands that we worked really, really closely with and grew them. And whether it was helping to tell their brand story or have them help them hire a PR agency, help them just, you know, what does it take to be a successful brand at Sephora? That's still, I think, what differentiates Sephora from the rest is their ability to really partner. You know, we're working on, let's say, packaging redesigns for a brand that's sold there. And, like, that Sephora team gets super involved, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Like, we show them stuff. Like, hey, here's the six options we're looking at. Like, we don't even finesse it, you know? Like, right. they're part of the um, the thinking around it. And that's very distinctive. I would agree. And I think as a brand, uh, you sort of have to have that mentality if to work well with Sephora. And I think, you know, we we used to say open kimono. I don't know who ter- coined the phrase. I'm sure someone will tell me they did. But you have to be willing to share everything if you want to be successful there. It just it's, it works better. When did you know that Sephora was going to be a big deal? It's, I, it's a good question. I think I just thought it was such a cool concept. I almost couldn't imagine it not working. Um I probably was, again, naive to all of the issues that were going on, but I just saw that craze and excitement, and everyone in the industry felt it. Interestingly enough, I most of my friends weren't into beauty. I remember walking around Soho and them distracting me before I worked at Sephora, so I wouldn't actually walk past and have to go in the doors. But I just feel like it just, it, from the beginning, it just seemed like such a no-brainer to me. And it just it was it was such a wonderland, like so exciting to walk in those doors. Do you remember all of those bright color bath? Okay, so for anyone young listening, I feel bad, but um, <laughs> all of those circular bright color bath products that were red, orange, yellow, the rainbow when you walked in the doors of Sephora, and it was just it was so fun to be there, and just you felt like you were always discovering. I think that's how people feel now. I think there's a lot of people who still probably feel totally overwhelmed working walking in those doors. So um, I met you through Jen Heimowitz, now Jen Blitz, who worked at Sephora. I knew from day camp, so that's yeah. how we got to <laughs> And she worked other. with you. She worked at Base Beauty, and now she works at IT. 
So there's a lot of um, sharing. Yes. Through the years. So why did you leave Sephora? What happened? Um, I left Sephora because they wanted the whole company to be in San Francisco. And I didn't feel like I was daring enough to pick up and move to San Francisco. Also, my husband had his still has his own business, New York-based. And to be honest, if I if it if I didn't have that sort of path or that, you know, crossroads that I was met with, I wouldn't see myself leaving there. And I don't think that would have been right for me or for Sephora. Um, I probably got really comfortable because every year was something new and different. I mean, Sephora evolved so much. And many of the people I hired are still there, or I see them elsewhere in the industry way more successful than me, which I love seeing. Um, but I didn't want to move. So I sort of went out and said, okay, what's next? So I haven't always been at the right place at the right time because okay, when I us. left Sephora, I went to a startup called Open Sky. Um, and actually, they did get acquired by Alibaba, and they seem to still be around. But um, I wouldn't say it was probably my least favorite work experience, and it never really took off. Um, but I, I, I loved what I did at the time. I basically oversaw health and wellness and beauty. And the idea was, and the concept I thought was brilliant, it was um, different experts in different industries, whether it was food, beauty, home, like true industry icons saying what they've really used. So not a paid oh, endorsement. Oh, it is a good yeah, idea. Right? Yeah. And they did it all through video. And so the idea is like, I'm going to create a video and tell you why I love this product. And then you'll want to buy it. And then we would sell it at a discount. And so I brought in all these brands and it was, and I met with all these amazing people who were uh, just real legends in their field. It, uh, um, Patty Dubroff was the um, was one of the makeup artists, and then like Tony Robbins was one of the people for health and wellness. Uh, Bethany Frankel was one of the people. All these interesting people that really had these passions about products. I so vividly remember all of Patty's products that she loved because one of them I still use today, which is pawpaw cream, the red tube um, that just I can't live without. I put it on my nails, on my lips, everywhere. I'm obsessed with it. And it was, so it was an interesting learning, but uh, never really took off, didn't really get the base of customers needed. And ultimately, I got let go with a slew of other people and probably for the best. And I started consulting because it, opportunities just came to me, and I knew that I had to find a job. And I figured, okay, I'll do this while I look for a job, and it wound up working out. So you um, you didn't have a moment to feel lost or confused? Oh, I definitely did. I definitely had that, but I was also so relieved. I don't think you realize how unhappy you are sometimes until you're— um, you know, you're you're out of the situation. My husband came to pick me up that day, and I was with another woman who happened to live in my building, and um, she got let go too. And she was hysterical crying, and I was just so relieved. I was happy, and it was such an unusual feeling. I couldn't believe it because it's not like me, but I just felt so relieved, and I wasn't I wasn't worried about the financial situation. I'm sure if I had a month after that, I would have been devastated, but I remember talking to the first brand that wanted to work with us, and it was probably one that I met through this through Open Sky, and they said, can you help us in the U.S.? We want to decide if we want to go into retail. We want to decide what's next. And 
I remember saying, okay, sure, I can do this many hours. I was figuring out as I went, and I said, okay, uh, can you pay me $4,000 a month? And I remember them saying yes. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm going to make $4,000 a month just for doing, you know, what I know how to do. And then I remember the next client and the next client and saying, will you pay me this much? And kept increasing what I was asking for and obviously figuring out really what I would have made if I was working full time. And um, and I loved it. And I loved uh and actually, that's how I met Maggie Schifferdini, who I know you met and had on the podcast. Um, and uh, she uh, was one of my clients that w- I, when she was at Saint-Tropez and um, PZ Cousins was the parent company. And um, But I just, it was, it was a, I got to reconnect with all the people I knew from throughout the industry. Are you a natural networker and connector? A hundred percent. I think that's really such an important thing. And it's hard for people who aren't that way. But I think the reason that I have had so many opportunities and have been at the right place at the right time is all because of people. Nothing to do with me. I feel like I got super lucky. I mean, my first job was because of someone I met. Every single job has been a reference from someone else. Fortunately, knock on wood, I haven't had to really go looking in my career. I did look when I left Sephora. It was a very interesting time. I learned a lot of lessons at that time because I had six months that I was knew I was leaving, and I could tell everybody I was leaving and why I was leaving. And so I, I met with everyone I knew. I just, and and I really went in with no agenda. I just wanted to meet people and talk to them. And so I so appreciated everyone's time. But the people who you thought would help you the most wind up helping you the least, and the people who you didn't expect much of wind up helping you the most. And it was just my chance to hear what people had to say and to learn from them and even career advice, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And look, I maybe made a mistake, but I don't believe it's, I have no regrets. Um, but I really loved that startup environment and the newness idea. And that's really where my passion for that started. I mean, probably at Sephora, it was there because we were working with so many new brands. And so I just thought, oh, well, there, this person should be hiring me for my Sephora knowledge. And why just create a role for me? Hire me for six months. Who cares? You can learn so much from me. Your entire company knows nothing about Sephora. And you have everything to gain from my knowledge. And probably I wasn't that blunt. And I should have been. I should have said, pay me this much money. Hire me for six months. And I'll teach you everything you need to know. Maggie um, would be that blunt. Maggie would be that blunt, Mm -hmm. right? I know. She always went after it. I sort of thought, well, they'll just see it, and I probably should have said it. But maybe, who knows, my life would have been different if I had I said it. So, again, no regrets. Did but, um, did Ellen teach you the mechanics of networking? Is that one of the things she did when you said she was so good at, like, like being an advisor in that way? For sure. She was one of those people. Um, do you know Ellen? You have to meet her. I don't, but I'm, um, I'm envious of the fact that there was someone in your career to give you a toolbox, because, like, I've had to figure it out. But, you know, hiring different coaches along the way because I really, mm-hmm. I was, I had nothing. I didn't even have the box. It wasn't an empty box. It was, didn't have the box. Well, I would say I really probably learned it from my mother. She was that, she is that type of person. She talks to everybody. She um, just connects with people. And I saw that throughout my whole life. And, you know, she decided when she wasn't working that there was no synagogue in our town. So she said, okay, I'm going to create a synagogue. And she just started it. And, you know, it was out of a church first, and then she actually got a building. And she just decided, like, that's what she wanted to do. And then we moved to Monroe Township, New Jersey, from Brooklyn. I was three months old. 
And I think we lived on 7th Avenue was the name of our street. And she decided that's too much like Brooklyn. And I didn't move to the suburbs to have it sound like Brooklyn. So she had the street name changed. And so she went to every single person on the street and said, can I get your approval to change the name to Cameo Drive? She thought that was much more suburban. You have a Cameo ring, I noticed. I do, yep. Um, And so I I think that sort of socialness and and, uh, polite aggressiveness is I see, I learned from her. Well, there's follow through too. It's one thing to be friendly and talk to people on the street, but it's the other thing to actually like make something happen. True. I just think I I I think you learned so much from people. I love listening to people. I mean, just meeting people, hearing their story, and then connecting other people to other people. I I think you never know what will come of it. That's always what happens. I met my husband on a blind date. Like I really believe in all those connections of people so much. And there's no reason to not connect people. And so how did you end up from the consulting world getting to it? Was that the next step? That was the next step. So I also consulted for Ipsy, which was my main gig. And I worked for them three days a week. And that was amazing. I loved it. And I so believe in what they are doing. I find it interesting that they're doing so well. And I'm not sure where Birchbox is now, but they... They were always very under the radar, and I, as the marketer, was like, no, we need to get press, and we need to talk about this. And they said, no, 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 we have a bigger vision. We don't, we're not just, a, you know, a sampling company. We don't want to be known as that, so let's wait until we really have our studio and have content creators and have, you know, so much more. So um, it was a very interesting platform that they started. Is and that so, when Michelle was there? Yes, mm-hmm. Michelle was there when I was working for them, but she was— she was never, like, involved day in and day out, I would say. It was really—it was a great partnership, and she brought in a ton of the influencers. Um, but then it sort of started working on its own. So, uh, actually, a recruiter called me about a cosmetics, and it was—TSG uh, was the investor, and um, that's—and I thought, well, I kind of have a good gig. I don't know if I really want to take a full-time job. I have so much flexibility— I remember meeting with Jamie and Paulo, and I did call Diane Miles because she was at TSG, and I said, Diane, how come you didn't think of me for this job? And she said, oh, what a great idea. She was wonderful to work with. Um, she's, she's a person to learn a lot from. And I went for nine interviews <laughs> to get this role. And I Nine remember different people or nine different occasions Nine different occasions, not always with Jamie, mm-hmm. different people the, the whole time. But I remember them saying, this is a 24-7 job. And I said, well, then I'm not interested. I have work-life balance for the first time. I'm enjoying it. And they wound up hiring someone else who I believe used it to make a counteroffer to his current company. And so they came back to me and said, okay, what do you need to have work-life balance? And so it consisted of being able to take my kids to school twice a week and pick them up twice a week. I think that's the deal we worked out. So the hours were nine to six. So I would have to come in like 10 minutes late, two days a week and leave a half an hour to 45 minutes early, two days a week. And I so appreciated them being accommodating. And obviously, uh, in the beginning, there was a lot of sort of expectation about the hours you were to work and uh, tons of travel. Um, and I loved it. I loved working there. But I hope we we definitely changed the culture, helped to change the culture. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't about the number of hours that you worked. Maybe we took it too far because it feels like sometimes people are running to get out of the office at five o'clock. But it seems to have worked. 
So you were able to achieve your balance goals while growing that business? No. I would say I did not have balance there um, in the beginning. I I pushed for balance, and there were things that I definitely put my foot down on, and I, I, I will not miss my kid's first day of school. I will not miss X, Y, and Z. But I would say work probably one to family in the in the first few years there. Before the acquisition? Yes, mm-hmm. before the acquisition. And is that the the end line you were all running towards? Um, yes, but not outwardly. It wasn't always discussed. I think we all knew. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't like, okay, when we get sold X, Y, and Z. We just knew that was sort of hanging out there and that was a goal. Um, but it really the drive was always about success of the business, but also always about the it girl. I, that's mm-hmm. what I loved about it cosmetics and still love is that really, truly so customer focused. Um, one of the first things that I did when I was at it cosmetics is work with Jamie and Regina and Diane Miles. And Jack, uh, Jackie Finnan, who's the first employee, and work on the mission, which really was always in Jamie's head, but actually put it to paper. And we had a mission statement and our we believes, which really defined the type of person that we wanted working for the company, the we believes. And then the mission was really what we stood for. And it's something that we've never brought to the customer, but I really think should be. We use it internally as a guiding light, and it just helps so much to work at a place that has meaning. Whether you believe it or not, um, for me, it really makes a big difference. So we sort of always, and I would say to my team, and maybe they weren't always buying into it, but, you know, listen, if things get bad or if you, like, have doubts, just think about what we're doing because you really would hear from women all the time that cosmetics was changing their life. And there's not a lot of beauty brands that can say that. And there's a lot I'm going to miss about that, leaving the brand. So um, when you were um, choosing to have the work sort of infringe on your um, family goals, did you did you reconcile in your head like you're making an investment in yourself? Like you know what was what was the processing that you were using to say like for this amount of time or this extended period of time or this whatever this is my choice? Because so, you do have choices, right? Absolutely. You, you made it clear to them in the beginning that this was more important to you. So. Um, I'll talk about my husband a lot because I do think having a partner in life uh, or any, it doesn't have to be a husband, anyone that you can talk to, whether it's your parents or your friends or whoever that can help you make these decisions. And I sort of needed to know that I could leave at any time. Um, And so I said to him, and he was still growing his business and still is. And I said, like, tell me, let's discuss this. Can I, can I walk out the door? Can I just quit? And sorry, Jamie and Paula, for telling you this now. Um, but uh, and it, at first it was a no, and then it was yes. And then just knowing that I could, you know what, if I had a shitty day, I could walk out the door. I could be like, I'm out, and just walk out the door gave me comfort. And then I decided for myself, it was about the acquisition. You know, I took the role knowing that that there was a big chance that we were going to be acquired. I actually had no idea what my equity was worth. Um, It was worth more than I thought, but probably less than maybe it should have been. I was very happy, but I had no expectations. So um, other people, I think, had higher hopes and were really let down. So I'm super pleased with where I am. And I I didn't necessarily expect much. So um, but so it did become about that and saying, okay, well, this, uh, how could I work so hard and not get to that check mark? And then I 
still believe so much in the brand and there's still so much opportunity. I saw so much there that I wanted to keep going. And so it's three years post L'Oreal acquisition and a lot of people are like, I can't believe you're still there. Um, so I, but I think L'Oreal is an amazing company and I've, I've, everyone I've met is super smart and creative and strategic and I've loved all the people I've met. I've learned so much from them, but I don't want to be at a corporate company. I had to make that decision. I was really, it took me a long time to say, well, I could stay here and I could have amazing benefits and a pension. I mean, who gives a pension anymore? Um, and I could be, you know, really comfortable and I'm sure I can grow here. It might take me a little bit longer, but, um, or I can go back to what I really love doing. And ultimately I had to, I, I mean, it's a much riskier move of what I'm doing. Who knows? Maybe it'll only last a month. I hope it doesn't, but who knows? How long did it take you to make that decision? Probably almost three years because I really only decided uh, I didn't actually start looking for a job. I just said, okay, I'm going to start taking some of these calls a little more seriously. And so um, that's really when I decided. And what was that one shift that went from, okay, people are approaching me, but I'm not that interested? What what happened? I think it was the companies and the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Sort of being able to envision what the potential is of, of a company. There was two companies that I spoke to, uh, one of them being Mimi Box and the other one. I just felt like, wow, I can. this seems like so the future and I could see all these different ways that this can come to life throughout our industry and maybe outside of our industry and being able to see what the future is. That's what I got me excited again and I thought, wow, I haven't felt that way in a while. Like I haven't just like for you keep thinking about what the future is and what needs to happen. And so that was really the turning point. Well, I'm so excited that we got to do this finally. I'm so grateful for your time. I love knowing you. you. I think about you often. I hope you feel those vibes coming your way. That's so sweet. I'm really proud of you. (laughs) I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.